She's one of the most prolific Christian novelists in her field today, Francine Rivers. But before she wrote stories of redemption, Francine was known for a very different kind of writing. Welcome to the Great Stories Podcast. I'm Charles Morris. On this episode, I want you to hear an interview I did with Francine back in 2016 about how she went from writing steamy romance novels to stories of redemption, starting with her modern classic, Redeeming Love. We talk about how she became a Christian and how the book of Hosea inspired her to write stories that ultimately point to Christ. You won't want to miss this one, so let's get started. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris in Northern California, and for years on this program, I've been wanting to talk to a Christian author who writes fiction, and I think we found the right one. So joining me in her living room is Francine Rivers. Francine, for the very first time as a fiction writer, but a very first time on our program, thank you so much for joining me. It's wonderful to have you here, Charles. And uh, you make good coffee. The pizza's great. You have a Bible study coming in a little while, and you've (laughs) got to make cookies. So uh, that's, that's the agenda today. You've been writing fiction for how long? Oh, BC I'm, and then after. I BC. started when I was pregnant with our first child, which I lost. But our son is going to be forty in September, so I've been at this for forty-one years. Okay, yeah. all right, all right. And Long time. how in the world did you ever decide to become a writer? I have wanted to be a writer since I was a little girl, and okay. the problem was I didn't know what I'd ever write because I didn't like to read. I was not a very good reader. I got D's in reading when I was in grade school. Mm -hmm. But I just knew that's what I wanted to do. So when I went away to college, I majored in English with an emphasis in creative writing and minored in journalism because I thought, well, either way. And you even worked for a a newspaper for a summer. Briefly, and I was a terrible newspaper reporter. (laughs) No, I I should tell our listeners, I had never heard of you, Francine. Forgive me for that. That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) And and then somebody on our team said, when I mentioned this about finding some fiction writer, but as a believer in Christ, she said, Francine Rivers, my mother has read Redeeming Love twice. I've read it once. We need Francine Rivers. And uh, it's very interesting then that I started mentioning you to other Christians, women primarily, everybody's heard of you but me. So, so, uh, but if you don't mind, let's go to BC. Okay. And uh, I've already asked your permission if I can say steamy romance yes. novel, and you say yes. I could. How'd you get started selling books? How'd the first steamy romance novel come out? Actually started when I was, I was a substitute teacher in inner city Oakland, which was a very stressful job. And then when I got pregnant, the doctor said, you need to stay home. Okay. And my mother-in-law was actually the one that began passing me fiction because my parents were nonfiction readers, which is, and I didn't like to read nonfiction as a child. So when she started passing me romances and gothics and mysteries, I got hooked on fiction. You mean they've been around a few years? They've been around a few years. Okay. And I, when I was reading them, I thought, you know, that might be kind of fun. I was home and I needed to do something, so I laid out a, an outline for a novel and I wrote what I call a Western Gothic romance, 
because I liked Westerns, I liked Gothics, and I liked okay. romance. Okay. So that's how I got started, and it was so much fun that I just kept going with it. And they, they were all in maybe 1840s to 1880 okay. California okay. history. And I'm surprised, but your husband Rick tells me that men actually do read that genre Yes, some. they do, probably with a brown bag around it. <laughs> they don't want anybody yeah, I think, to I think know. for the most part, women usually buy the books for the men. And then give them to them. Okay. Okay. So I think that's, but there are, I get a number of letters from men. Wow. You had a successful career going as a romance novelist. Tell me about that day and the knock on the door. Well, we were in Southern California. We were really struggling in our marriage and we thought the best way to solve the problem was to move closer to family. Okay. They were all in Northern California. Mm -hmm. My parents were in Oregon. So, and to start a business of our own because Rick needed a job. So mm-hmm. we moved to Sebastopol. We had sold That's our house. That's kind of in Northern California yeah. near the wine it's area. It's in the wine country uh, okay. near the Redwoods, close to the coast. Beautiful and, area. Beautiful area. And we were moving in. We had, we had been in a five-bedroom house, so we had given away about a third of our stuff and moved north into mm-hmm. a small rental. And it was 106 degrees, really, really hot day. Mm. Uh, we were impatient and tired from the move, and this little boy about eight years old came over and invited us to church, basically. He wanted to help us move in, and Rick is handing him things. Okay, fine, here, take this. And, <laughs> but he's talking about, have I got a church for you? And it, mm-hmm. that was the church that I later tried, because I'd grown up in the church as a mm-hmm. child. My parents mm-hmm. were very active, and we had gone to church in Southern California, but I'm sorry to say Jesus had left the building. They mm-hmm. were not preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. So we walked into the, I walked into it to begin with, and I was hearing the Word of God. They were teaching straight from Scripture, the application, and what it has to do with our life today, and it just changed me from the inside out. Would you say you had been, for those intervening years, agnostic, atheist, or just kind of drifted away from uh, the roots of going to church as a child? Well, I think I thought I was a Christian because we had our children in a uh, Christian preschool okay. at a church, but there was so much going on. And actually, Rick at one point was the chairman of the board of trustees. <laughs> they heard didn't those know before. we were not Christians. We wow. didn't know we weren't Christians, but we saw a lot of things that were going on, and it wasn't mm-hmm. Christian, mm-hmm. you know. So this was totally different. Mm. I mean, their their whole goal is to just become Christ-like and to focus on the scriptures. So you actually then began going to church, mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden the Spirit was working on you. Yeah. Then, and I, I couldn't get Rick to go because he mm-hmm. had, you know, had been burned out and didn't like what he saw in Southern California. Mm-hmm. So the only way I could get him to church was to ask the pastor if he'd be willing to do the home Bible study. <laughs> You know, I kind of deceptive way of doing it. A home Bible study that continues to this day. That's right. A couple decades or so later. Well, and and he said, sure, if Rick could give permission. And, of course, Rick said, sure, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And we've been having it ever since. You have a nice husband, I've got to say. Yes. Yes, Yes, I do. We've been married 46 years. Well, so at some point, you repented of your sins. Yes. And asked Christ Jesus to be your Savior. Yes. And Rick, too. Yes. We were both baptized on the same day oh, in May my. of 1986. Goodness. Yeah. So if you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today. We're coming to you from uh, Northern California, just north of the San Francisco Bay Area. We're in the living room of Francine Rivers, who is a very well-known author. 
of Christian fiction at yeah. this point in your life. Yes. You became a Christian, but you've been a very successful writer of steamy romance novels, which don't necessarily fit with a Christian lifestyle. No. Well, what did you do? Well, I, the first thing that happened is I couldn't write them anymore. You had writer's block? I had writer's block for almost three years. Oh, my goodness. Um, I think God just took it away. And I and I felt like after that time, because I did not willingly give it up, I was struggling to try to write, and nothing mm-hmm. I wrote made any sense. Mm-hmm. That I, I find hard I... to believe from meeting you and seeing your notes and your yeah. organization and how hard you write, but it really was the well, case. It was, he just, I think he was teaching me that I had made writing my idol because it had become my identity. Okay. And there was, there was a point when Rick and I were walking in Southern California, and he said to me, if you had a choice between me and the children or your writing, you'd take your writing. And I real, realized at that point that was really it true. It was true. So I think God just took it away for three years until oh. it didn't matter anymore. I didn't care if I ever wrote again. And then we did the Minor Prophets that in your series, home Bible study. In our home Bible study. And, and we came to, to the book of Hosea, Hosea. And that just opened everything up. And I felt like God was nudging me to, to write that romance, which is based on him, and to write it in the same steamy historical romance genre and offer it to the general market. And that was the last book I wrote, and it was published by Bantam. And then a number of years later, I got the rights back, and I was able to put the conversion scene that I couldn't have in the original in, the, in what I call the redeemed version of redeeming love that is now right. in the Christian market. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's, uh, we're, we're going to give people an opportunity to get that. And here it is. It's set in the 1850s, California mm-hmm. gold rush, just over the hill from where we're sitting and a few more miles up yeah. into the mountains. Yeah. And uh, just kind of give me the, for the few people that have never read the book, a little synopsis maybe of, of Sarah, Angel, Sarah again. Yeah, well, for me, I didn't realize the connection with trafficking at the time, but it really is about a child who is sold into prostitution and who feels that she's worthless, and that's her whole purpose for living. And Michael comes into her life and shows her what real love is all about, and it's about Jesus. It's, a, it's an allegory about Christ's love for each of us. And in those intervening pages, having never read a romance novel mm-hmm. before I read Redeeming Love, this is just, how do I even describe it? You sucked me in. Well, God's love has a tendency <laughs> to do that, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, you, it's a language, love we all crave. I the, mean, but, men or women, we all crave that kind of unconditional passion that he has for each of us. Well, and I found myself so into the story. The language is clean, mm-hmm. you know, but but it's the ugly reality of the messy world and messy lives that we have as much or more so today than ever. Yeah, And yet, it's just based going back to stories that are biblical because life was messy in yeah. biblical times apart from Christ. Yeah, I think I don't think anything's changed. No, it hasn't. Sin is still sin. Yeah, it's still the same story, but it, I and I see that cuz we're more we're getting more involved in ministering to people that have been trafficked. We have a a new ministry here crossing the Jordan. And Mm -hmm. people are so broken down. And that was really where Angel was coming from, is feeling like there is no way out. There's no 
way I'll ever be forgiven. Nobody is ever going to love me. And love was a four-letter word for her at mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. She was not only trafficked, but then she became a prostitute yes. herself before finding this man yeah. who really loved her and saved her out of the life that she was in. And then there really is the conversion and the baptism. Yes. And yeah, it's all good. Yeah. And I've got to say this. I was ready to put the book down a couple of times. I was so overwrought emotionally from reading Redeeming Love. But then... Especially the first 50 pages. Yes. It was hard for me to write. I remember that uh, one of my writer friends, the first time I wrote it, I was cautious. And she said, is your church getting in the way? Because she wasn't Christian. I said, no, the church isn't telling me not to write Uh what I need to write. She said, well, you're not writing the way you normally do with the feeling. And I thought, well, it's because I don't want to feel the pain she felt. Okay. So I had to rework it because you have to get inside of her to understand mm-hmm. where she's coming from so you understand the resistance she has to Michael and and to show Michael has the patience of God. Mm-hmm. I mean, how patient is the Lord mm-hmm. with us? And how of course, Michael is representative. Exactly. Yes. He's, he's living out the way we're supposed to live as Christians, to mm. love others and not condemn and, and show them the love of Christ. Francine, what I hear you saying to me and what I read in Redeeming Love, which has sold more than a million copies, is uh, grace trumps everything. Oh, yeah. And Jesus loves us and is real. And we need to realize that's where we're going to find the love we need. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I think everybody is looking. And I, for me, I felt like that book was my opportunity to, just, to say to the people that had been following my career before, and I'd get letters, why aren't you writing anymore? But I was mm. able to say, that, you know, this is what I've discovered. Because people would write to me and say, oh, I wish I could meet a Michael Hosea. And mm-hmm. I could write back and say, well, you can. His name mm. is Jesus. You know, this mm. is the kind of love we're craving. And people do write you. Yeah, people do write me. I and probably you have even responded to people. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Even though you're a best-selling author. That's nice to hear. Wow. Francine, you decided to write this book, a fictional novel, but using the story of Hosea and Gomer. How did you uh, lay that out? How did it come about? Paint that picture for us. Well, I, I wanted to set it in the gold rush period because I had been writing about California history between 1840 and the 1880s. For so you knew a lot about that. I knew quite a history. bit about it. But I also wanted to really write the book for the people that had been following my career up to that point. Okay. And then the way I laid it out was it starts as a child of darkness, which I believe we all are children of darkness to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, I think the next one is defiance, because she doesn't want anything to do with God. Mm-hmm. And then fear, because she felt that God was going to ask too much of her. She was afraid of what this all meant. And then humility, when she begins to understand what love is, then she feels like she needs to sacrifice in order to receive the love. Mm-hmm. And then the end is joy in the morning, when she mm-hmm. realizes who she is in Christ. And you're writing about a prostitute. Yes. And I think we all are. In a way, we're all harlots. I don't know what they'd call a man, but... But, <laughs> but I we, know what we, you mean. We are all, you know, we all commit harlotry numerous times in our lives. And I, I felt like I was a harlot. And I, because I'd been going to everything else mm-hmm. to find answers and never mm-hmm. going to God. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how I felt like I was angel. 
And that's your that main was character. My, that's whose my first name was Sarah. Yeah, but. her name was Sarah in the beginning, and she she never tells her name to anybody because that was the only thing she had to offer, mm. and mm. so that's why she tells Michael at the end that her name is Sarah, and of course he knows that that's a promise for him because Sarah in the Bible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. couldn't have children and miraculously did. And in your novel, Redeeming Love, they have children at yes, the end. Yes, they do. Wow. The books that I write have a lot to do with the struggles that I have, too. We sure, all struggle. Sure. It's hard to live in yes. this world. We're living in a fallen world, and it's trying to figure out, okay, what is God's perspective about any particular question? And so all the characters play out the different points of view, and I have one strong Christian, mm-hmm. and I'm immersing myself in Scripture every day before I write so that I'm hopefully by the end of the story, I'm going to figure out what God's trying to teach me. Francine, uh, it's just from talking to you, just just for a little while, being with you, being with Rick, we know Jesus loves us. We're both in agreement on that. But I hear you saying we are never worthy. No, but he loves us mm-hmm. and he calls us. He gives us gifts to use and and he makes us feel whole. You know, he gives us wholeness. You have written so truthfully of the seamier side of life of which we all are part. We don't like to be part of it, but we are. Yeah. And yet in your becoming a Christian and changing the fiction writing that you do, you're always pointing to the love of Christ that can invade us, I think. Every, That's the every whole book? purpose, yeah. I think there's a difference between a Christian who writes and a Christian writer. And I am a Christian writer. If you If you took... Jesus out of the story, it, the whole story would fall apart, and there wouldn't okay. be any purpose in even writing it. So it, when I became a Christian, I wrote Redeeming Love. After Redeeming Love, I thought basically that would be the last book I wrote. Right. And I believe that God was calling me to just ask me the questions that you need to ask and use mm-hmm. the gifts I've given you, you know, for writing the story to find the perspective. But there may come a time when he'll say, okay, that's it. I've got something else for you hmm. to do. Hmm. So it's it's... It's not the idol it was before. The Lord's with you now, and you know that. And you're looking to Him to lead you and not just what you want to do out of your own self and your own strength, which is not very strong. No. (laughs) (laughs) Let me ask you, we, we may have some budding writers out there. How do you write? You've shown me your writing study, studio, whatever you call it. Yeah. How do you write, Francine? Well, you start with an idea or a question, and then you just let it grow. But I think that for me, I study scripture, and I'm taking, I'm in BSF, mm-hmm. so I'm learning all with the time. With a few hundred thousand other American yes, women. Yes, yes. And it's your... You're in Revelation this year. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Something I was always afraid, I read it every year, but I was I was afraid to really study it. Might be another novel there for you, uh, but... Uh, um, no, it's already been done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, but I think that just dedicate your work to the Lord from the very beginning. You know, commit mm-hmm. your work to the Lord, mm-hmm. and then He'll do what He wants to do with it. Mm-hmm. If you go in trying to be published, you're missing the point. Exactly. It, the I think work if is you to go draw you. seeking success, and you're a, truly a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got it backwards. 
Well, and I think anything that we do, whether we're a CPA or a plumber or whatever, that work is valuable and it, and it can draw you closer to the Lord. Mm. And I think that's what writing has done for me. It draws me closer to Him. What about just the pure mechanics? You've shown me piles of notebooks that you keep. And you apologized. I thought it was pretty neat, but uh, you were apologizing for messiness that I don't think existed. But uh, you write down ideas. Well, I write down ideas. I do have to have something of an outline that I turn into the publisher, but they also know that 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 outline it is may totally it's change. going to be very different by the time I turn it in. Okay. Because the the most fun with writing is when the characters actually begin to take over the story and they tell their own story, which sounds I know weird, but it's You do you start writing before you know totally how it's going to end? Oh yeah. I do, I don't know how it's going to end until I get to the end. Okay. It, it really is playing itself out as I go and other characters come in. I have sort of a loose idea. I know it's going to end happily because it has to do with the Lord. That's right. So yes. he has his way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to write it. I tried. I tried to write a classic novel with, with a voice in the wind. Hadassah was supposed to die in the arena. Mm-hmm. And my, my editor was so angry. She said, I would have thrown that manuscript on the other side. She said, you cannot kill Hadassah. So and I had been studying a lot about the Roman Empire and how okay. their method of, of medicine. They could not do dissection. They actually studied by vivisection. Okay. So as soon as the person died, they believed the gods had them and they didn't touch them after that. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, I know how she could be kept alive, so I could continue the story and finish her story. Okay. Um, so that's how it became a trilogy. And how do you? Um... You get up early every morning? We get up every... Well, Rick was up... We were up at three this morning. He was up at three. That's when I, I got up, up about, to come and see you. Yeah, about, <laughs> I think I was up at quarter to four or something. But we do our devotional time. All right. I, I read through the one-year Bible each year. Mm-hmm. I love that. I didn't last year, and I really missed it. And then we pray together. Mm-hmm. And then we do our exercise program. Right. I do my Bible study, and then I will go and write. And so... So maybe nine o'clock. I start working down in my office, and I, I, my goal is to write four pages a day, mm-hmm. because I don't ever want it to get to be too important like it was before. So that can take a half a day, or it can take all day, just depends on where I am in the story. If I'm first starting out, it's it's like when you haven't exercised for a long time, you have to get back into the flow of writing. So as opposed to maybe my journalism years where you were on this deadline and you just whacked out the story with the who, what, why, you're, you're crafting a sentence. You may work in a well, sentence or I a paragraph. May, I'm usually trying to figure out who the characters are. So I'm trying oh, okay. to develop the characters right. and then the scenes that are going on and figure out where I'm going. I, that probably sounds really strange, but it takes me a while to get to know the characters. I have a general idea, okay. but they just begin to, to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while to get there. It's usually, it's very painful to start. Mm-hmm. It's nice in the middle. Then it flows at the end. It really begins to just take over at the end. And then you have to let it go. When it's done, you just pack it up and let it go because I don't know what I'm gonna do next. Or even mm-hmm. if, if I am going to do anything next. Sure. So we'll see what happens. But the Lord knows. Yeah, the Lord and knows. And you commit it to Him. Yeah. Wow. It's an adventure. 
Francine, you're writing Christian fiction, but somehow your Christian fiction fits with the story of these women, of which there are so many today that are trafficked. Do you see God's hand in all of that and in your writing? I do. Well, I, you know, he, God is always at work, and He can use anything. And I, mm-hmm. I thought it was really somewhat amusing that He uses fiction. Mm-hmm. and how he can reach people that way. But I didn't write the story of redeeming love as a tool for helping girls that have come out of trafficking, but I found I was hearing and over yet. the years, and yet God has. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they've used it as a first way of contact with exotic dancers or gals on the street. They'll give them a gift, mm-hmm. and they'll give them a redeeming love, because there again, you know, if you hand them a Bible, they're probably not going to read it. Right. I, I, they might spit on it or stomp yeah, on it. Yeah, but, but with it looks like a, you know, a racy love story. Mm-hmm. And you know, so they read it, and then they get the message of the gospel. And I, it just reminded me of something, because I got a letter once, and it was from Brazil or Colombia, and the gal was writing to me. She was uh, in a ministry in the area, and she said the women with the cartel were actually reading Redeeming, Redeeming Love. love. And some of the cartel guys were reading it, and I thought, well, God can do anything. I mean, I would never think that I could place anything anywhere, but He can. Sure. He can do anything He wants to do, and He can reach into the, the most, mm. the farthest places that you could imagine. One other thing, just a, a sensitive question. You had a book where you wrote on abortion, mm-hmm. a novel. Yes. After well, I, you became I a tend, Christian. I tend, every, almost every book I've ever written has started with a question, and it's something that I'm dealing with in my own life. Okay. A Voice in the Wind had to do with how do I talk to unsaved family and friends who don't want to hear the name of Jesus, so they're not going to read the Bible. Right. You know, how do you impact their lives? And, and so I did, I think, four books before I actually did The Atonement Child, because that was the thing that really ate at me. Mm-hmm. And I knew God had forgiven me. And a lot of other me. women who've had oh, an abortion. Yes. But I used to go out and drive around, and I'd think, you know, if I know you've forgiven me, but why am I still feeling the way I do? Mm-hmm. And I talked to my mother, and she had had an abortion. In, she shared with me that she'd had an abortion when she had tuberculosis. And mm-hmm. it was a therapeutic abortion, probably later term, because she knew it was a boy. But as I was telling her my story and explaining that I thought that I was being called by God to write a book about abortion, mm-hmm. that's when she, sh- she shared her story with she me. She had never told you that And before. she was crying, and she was saying, you would have had a brother that was, he'd been 42 years old now. And I thought, mm-hmm. am I going to feel like this for the rest of my life? Is, you know, is this pain mm-hmm. going to always be with mm-hmm. me? So I went to the local pregnancy counseling center and went through their post-abortion class, mm-hmm. Bible study. Mm-hmm. So I had people around me the whole time I was working on it, and everybody in the story is impacted in some way. Hannah is my story. Dinah is, I, I pick biblical names too. Right, right. I noticed. And the, bibli- <laughs> the biblical names have to do with the, what they're, what's happening to them in the story also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Evie is the grandmother. Yes. first person that bought the lie is Eve. Eve. And Dinah was the rape victim in in the Bible, Mm. the sister of Simeon and Levi. Well, I guess I'll have to read that book next. But let me me ask you a question, because the clock is ticking. Time is is short for us. I ask this of just about anyone we ever have on the program. What does Jesus mean to you now? Oh, he's life. Why are we here if not for him? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's everything I do, I try to, it has everything to do with him. Mm. 
I can tell. Francine Rivers, just blessings to you and Rick, and thanks for being on Haven today. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. I hope this conversation with Francine Rivers gave you a new perspective on the story of Hosea and how Christian fiction can lead us to a better understanding of God's holy word. On a personal note, I really enjoyed meeting Francine and her husband Rick when we visited her home in Northern California. My team and I enjoyed eating the fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies she made while we were there. If you enjoyed today's episode, can I also ask that you leave a review? You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, but you can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover our other episodes posted on the blog. Thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris.